0: Well, as always, church, it's good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler David. I'm one of the preaching pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. If you have a Bible, go and open up to the book of Exodus. Be in chapter 9 in a little while. Chapter 7. We'll be kind of all throughout Exodus 7 through 9 today. Um, But if you're new or visiting, we're continuing on in the book of Exodus. Exodus. And so last week we started teaching through the chapters dealing with the plagues, all the plagues that God brought upon Egypt. And as I mentioned last week, there's a lot of texts about the plagues. It's going to take a long time for us to get through all of these uh, scriptures. And so it's going to take a couple of sermons to do that. And today, in particular, when we look at the plagues, we're going to look at a very weighty topic. A very weighty topic. T- Today's topic is one of those times. That reminds us why we as a church go through books of the Bible, because when you go through a book of the Bible, typically what's going to happen is you're going to address things that you typically wouldn't want to address. And when you go through an entire book of the Bible, what tends to happen is God sets the agenda when that happens, and sometimes he wants to talk about something that you may not want to hear about, or maybe have not even thought about. And so today's topic is one of those times why we... As a church, go through books of the Bible because it, it lets God tell us what we need to be thinking about, what we need to hear. And today what we're gonna look at Through the Plague, because we're gonna look at God's relationship to evil and suffering in the world. We're gonna look at God's relationship to evil and suffering in the world. Because when you look at the world, there is, in your lives, there's so much evil and suffering that every human being has to make sense of it. Like every human being has to make sense of and deal with evil and suffering, no matter your faith, no matter your background, no matter your context, no matter your generation, there's so much of it and it's so rampant and it's in everyone's life and we're all affected by it that everyone has to make sense of it because when you hear or you see or you go through some horrendous pain or sorrow, when that happens, it shakes you to the very core of who you are. When that happens, It it cuts through all the noise in your life. It cuts through all the things that are in the periphery and it shakes you to the core of who you are. And often what evil and suffering does is it actually shakes us and says, who do you think God is? Evil and suffering like nothing else shake you and begin to make you think, does God even exist? I mean, it makes you ask questions of how could God allow this? What kind of God would allow this? Do I even believe that there's a God when there are things like this evil that happen? The problem of evil and suffering in the world is one of the greatest barriers to having and sustaining faith in God. It really is one of the greatest barriers for having and sustaining faith in God. Even for those of you who trust in Jesus... When you see evil and suffering in the world, it can bring serious doubts into your mind, can it not? It can bring serious doubts into your mind. Because as Christians, we believe that God is real and that God is good and that God is holy and that he is loving and has all power. But then you see evil and suffering in the world and it seems to undermine those beliefs. Like you begin to ask questions, how could a good, all-powerful, loving God allow genocide to happen? I mean, how how could God, who's good and all-loving, allow cancer and forms of death that don't just kill you, but they cause you to suffer tremendously before you die? How could God let parents bury children? How how could God let marriages fall apart and families be destroyed? How could there be things like rape, incest, famine, and starvation, and racism? and human trafficking, and I could go on and on about all the injustices and suffering in this world that boggle the mind. When you look at all those things, you look at it, and as a Christian, you know God could intervene, but he doesn't. As a Christian, you know God could stop it immediately, but he doesn't. And it's these questions, those questions, those real valid questions that cause people to not believe in Christ and cause Christians who do believe in Christ to be paralyzed without. Because evil comes into all of our lives at some point in time. It will happen. And in those seasons, it makes you feel isolated, lonely, as if God could not be further away from you. Some of you may be going through it right now. Some of you may have things in your life falling apart You lost your health, you lost a loved one and you have all these questions of where is God in the midst of this? This is such a rampant question in the scriptures too. So many, there are large sections and portions of the Bible where you see believers wrestling with the same questions. So many of the Psalms, the book of Lamentations, the book of Job are books devoted to believers trying to make sense of God, where are you in this? Believers looking at all the evil in the world and going, God, what is going on? And lamenting and writing and asking, Where is God when evil abounds and life falls apart? And you have to answer that question. Whether you're going through suffering right now or not, you will go through it eventually. It's inescapable in this life. And you have to answer the question well, then, where is God when evil abounds and we experience suffering? Because how you answer that question now will determine if those seasons and those days of evil, when they come, press you towards God or make you run away from God. How you answer the question of where is God when evil abounds is going to affect and shape the way when it comes into your life, if you'll run to God or away from God. Now, please don't think, it's easy to think that somehow if you didn't believe in God, it would make dealing with evil easier. It's easy to think that, okay, if I didn't believe in God, it would make dealing with evil and suffering easier. I mean, this is, to be completely honest with you, in my weakest moments, this is my tendency. So when I, to make it really current day, when I read things about what ISIS is doing right now, when you read what they are doing to men, women, and children, it folds me up. I mean, I read it and I think about it and it folds me up. I don't have any, I don't have any category for it. I don't want to make sense of it. And so you see that and, and I have this tendency in my weakest moments to think it'd be easier if I didn't believe in God to deal with this. That somehow if believing in God makes this more difficult, but that's simply not the case, That's simply not the case, because to see such evil in the world and to not believe in God has even more devastating consequences. To see such evil and suffering in the world and to not believe in God has devastating consequences, which are rarely, if ever, talked about. Because if you believe in a God who's good and loving and has all power, when you see evil and suffering, it raises the question, how could God allow this? But when you don't believe in God and there's no such thing outside of humanity and outside of reality, it's just us, it's just matter, it's just chance, it's just chemistry. That's all that life is, that when you see evil and suffering, the question arises that should be is, why should I even care? If there is no God, why even care? If there is no God, is there any such thing as evil? Because if there is no God, there is no such thing as good and evil and right and wrong and love and hate. See, we may want those things to be true, but without a God outside of us and a universal standard, all of those things, good and evil, are just man-made paradigms to help us deal with our surroundings. If there is no God, this is just the universe that we're in and suffering happens. That's just what happens in this particular universe for our species to survive and any moral outrage you may feel is not actually moral it's just something that just the synapses in your brain firing a certain way but it's nothing real here's my point don't buy the lie church that if you didn't believe in god it would somehow make it easier to deal with evil and suffering it would not it would just raise different questions and serious problems because here's what that here's my it makes Evil and suffering makes every single person, no matter what you think, it makes you grasp for answers and clarity and comfort. It does it to every single person. No matter where you are, it makes you go, what is going on? It makes all of us, it shakes all of us to our core. And so in the Bible, in the scriptures, God has not given us all the answers we may want, but he has given us some truth. See, there are many things about evil that God has been silent about, but there are some things he has been very clear about. Now, when it comes to evil and suffering, the church especially has to be careful that we don't claim mystery where God has spoken clearly. That we don't claim mystery where God has spoken clearly. And that we don't claim clarity where God has left it a mystery. We must be very, very careful that we, and especially when evil and suffering, we tend to want to speak sometimes where God has been silent And we tend to want to be silent in places where God has clearly spoken. So if we're ever going to understand what God is doing in the midst of evil and suffering, we have to look at his word. And in the plagues, so here's what we're going to see about evil and suffering from the plagues and from God's word today. We're going to see this: that God plans for evil to happen to accomplish his good purposes. What not what I think, what the Bible says, what God says. He plans evil to happen to accomplish his good purposes. Let me be really clear. There is so much to cover on this topic that I will not be able to cover the entire subject exhaustively in one sermon. I will not be able to do it at the end of the service. We're going to give you some resources you could read and study up on. But in this sermon, I'm sure there may be questions you're going to have, and I'm not going to be able to answer in this one sermon. But don't think there aren't answers to your questions. I just won't be able to do all of it in our time together. So when we look at the plagues, it's very easy in life, it's very easy in life to read stories, hear stories of destruction, and not think about how devastating it is for the people involved. Like, it's really easy for you and me to scroll through on our phones, to open up newspapers, and to see stories of, like of a murder or famine or earthquake, and not really give a second thought to how devastating it is for the people affected. My my major in college was history. I love history. I love learning about history. I love it primarily because I love seeing how things actually happen. I love seeing how things kind of develop over time. And so for anyone who loves history, most people love studying World War II. Because when you study World War II, just the the scale and the scope and the impact of it is tremendous. And so, But what happens, it's one of those historical events that you can learn about and study and not really consider how much suffering there was. I watched a documentary a couple, probably about eight months ago, about the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. And the reason I saw it, I saw it on Netflix. like, Man, that looks interesting. And so my my curiosity was, I want to learn more about what happened. But what happened, as I was watching the documentary, my feelings of curiosity and just being intrigued by the topic were quickly drowned out when I began to hear the stories of the suffering people experienced that day. I mean, I began, you begin to hear stories of people just going about their days in Hiroshima like you and I would, going to work, raising families, doing what they typically would do, like that. Everything gone, families destroyed, Life, lives changed forever, radiation ever. I mean, it's, I mean, it became like, oh, I'm curious too. Oh, I'm really sad. Like that's, that was the Netflix experience. And that's what happens when you look at history All of a sudden, for me, that event that was on a page somewhere in a book became a real story of real suffering of real people. And the plagues are a lot like that. The plagues, you and I, maybe you've read them in your Bible before, and you read them, and we don't really consider how much people are being affected by them. We read the plagues and just gloss over them and don't really consider people are suffering because of the plagues, Because last week we saw the plagues, they were mostly annoying. The first plagues are mostly annoying plagues. They're the Nile turned to blood, frogs, gnats, and flies. But over time, the plagues become much more severe. People's livestock are killed. Then everyone gets boils on their skin. Then hail kills people. Then locusts devour crops. And then firstborn children die. And so what you and I are reading on a page in an air-conditioned room is about people's bank accounts being completely emptied. It's about people losing their health. It's about food being made sparse and the death of firstborn children. When you and I read the plagues, we are reading about the absolute devastation of people's lives. That's what we're reading about so the question has to be asked when we look at these texts, well, why are these plagues happening? Like, why all this devastation? Why all the suffering? Why all the evil in Egypt? Well, in one very true sense, all of these plagues came because Pharaoh refused to let the people go. His actions had real consequences. Look at Exodus 9, 1 through 3. Exodus 9, 1 through 3. Then the Lord said to Moses... Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you, if, notice, For if you, for if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. That verse 2 says, For if you refuse. So he's saying it's contingent. In one real sense, God is saying Pharaoh's actions had real consequences. There's other texts like this in the book of Exodus where in one sense, the evil and suffering happening in Egypt is because of Pharaoh. He played a real role in his real responsibility for his sin. We talked about that last week. But what God has made abundantly clear is that the ultimate And decisive reason why Pharaoh is rejecting God and thus bringing all the plagues and all the evil and all the suffering onto Egypt is because God planned for it to happen. God makes it abundantly clear that He is the ultimate reason why the suffering came. I'll give you two texts in Exodus. Don't turn there. We've read these before as we studied the book together, but read them again. Exodus four twenty one. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Exodus 7, 2. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land Verse 3, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen. Because he got his heart hardened to you. And I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Ultimately, ultimately God himself planned For Pharaoh to reject him so that this evil and suffering would come to Egypt. The loss of finances, the loss of health, the loss of food, even the loss of children was ultimately planned by God. I'm not saying anything the Bible didn't just say. God is the decisive actor in history, and He is the determiner of what does and does not happen, including evil and suffering. It's it's not, listen, it's not that evil and suffering happen, and then God runs in and finds a way to make good out of it and overcome it. No, the plagues show us that evil and suffering come because ultimately God planned it for His own purposes. This is not just an Exodus. This is throughout the Bible. Let me give you three verses. Three verses. This here, this, I want to make the biblical case, not my case, not the Austin Stone's case, the biblical case for this. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Isaiah 45, 7. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Lamentations 3, 37. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? There isn't a single disease or disability or tsunami or fire or falling building that is not ultimately planned by and sent from God. Everything that happens in all of history, including suffering and evil, is ordained, planned, and allowed by God. Read to you a quote by Charles Spurgeon, the pastor of 150 years ago. Talks about God's sovereignty. This is the term we use a lot God's sovereignty over all things, his control of all things. Listen to what he says I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens that the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. The creeping of an aphid over the rosebud is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence. The fall of leaves from a poplar is fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. Now I know how difficult this can be to stomach. I know, especially if you're here and you've never heard this doctrine taught before, I know how difficult it can be to hear if you haven't heard it before. And what most of us probably want to believe, like when I think about what we probably want to believe about evil and suffering, what we probably want to believe is that evil and suffering happen outside of God's plan. This is what we want to believe. We want to believe that evil and suffering happen outside of God's plan. And once it happens, then God rushes in to comfort us and to bring us out of it. And often when we talk about suffering and evil, even within the church, and people teach about this, what we'll say is that God had nothing to do with your cancer diagnosis. That God had nothing to do with your suffering, nothing to do with your loss. We'll say it was either Satan, or we'll just chalk it up to what happens in a world broken by sin. Now let me say something really clearly. There are things that are true about that. God does comfort you in suffering. God does promise and does bring his people out of suffering eventually. Satan and sin do have roles in it, but when you and I say, when you and I say, when we're trying to comfort someone, we're trying to, to help someone, when you and I say that God had nothing to do with the evil and suffering in people's lives, we are saying there is something outside of his control. We're saying there's something outside of his control. What we're saying is that as strong and as loving as he is, that ultimately he sits on the sidelines when evil and suffering come. What we're saying, when he has nothing to do with evil and suffering in people's lives, we're saying that God was on the sidelines of our lives and he watched as evil consumed you. And then once it happened, he came in to help. But as it happens, he was hands off helpless. Helpless as Satan or sin or whatever evil force overwhelmed you. That's what we're saying. We're saying there's something outside of his control. But as you've seen hopefully clearly from the Bible, and we could go into more text, that is not the case. And actually what's real and what's true is more hopeful than that situation. It's more hopeful than that situation because God is not on the sidelines watching you be consumed by suffering and evil. He's not. God is orchestrating every moment of evil and suffering you'll ever experience. God himself is orchestrating it. God would not dare let Satan or sin or you or some other evil decide what evil you'll experience. God alone bears that responsibility. He would not give it to anyone else. And so what this does It makes the evil and suffering that you will go through and that you see, it it makes it where it's not senseless and pointless. Because if God's not involved, if God's just standing on the sidelines, hoping, wishing things work out, then that evil that comes into your life had no intention. It was just random chance that it happened to come to you. But if God is over it, and if God is sovereign, then every moment of evil has been thoughtfully and carefully sent to you from a good God to accomplish good purposes. That he would never allow somebody else to decide what his people will go through. He will not do it. He himself bears that responsibility because he himself alone is wise enough and good enough to determine what we need and what to do. Because he wants to accomplish good through it. Now, I need to make a really clear caveat. Although God clearly plans for evil to happen, it's very important to know that even though he plans for evil to happen, it does not undermine his goodness. So the Bible shows us that God plans and sins evil in such a way that he himself is not evil, but only good, right, and true. I cannot overemphasize this point enough because of how often the Bible emphasizes this point. Deuteronomy 32, four, I'll give you one text because there's too many to read from. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, The rock, God, his work is perfect, for all of his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, without sin, without fault, just and upright is he. A theologian, D.A. Carson, has a great book called How Long, O Lord. And in this book, he says this about God's goodness, even though he is sovereign over evil. He says, Despite everything it, the Bible says about the limitless reaches of God's sovereignty, the Bible insists again and again on God's unblemished goodness. God is never presented as an accomplice of evil or as secretly malicious or as standing behind evil in exactly the same way that he stands behind good. God is directing, he's directing evil in the world, but he himself is only good. It's helpful to know, it's helpful for you to know and understand that God directs evil and plans evil differently than he plans and directs good. That last line Carson says, he says that God doesn't stand behind evil in exactly the same way he stands behind good. What he means is when God ordains and plans for good to happen, it is a direct reflection and overflow of his character. When God ordains good things to happen, it's a direct reflection and overflow of his character. But when God ordains and plans for evil to happen, he himself is not the one committing the evil, and that evil is in direct contradiction to his nature and character. In other words, God ordains evil, but he himself is not evil. So the plagues, the Bible shows us God plans it, but why, why? Why plan this? What is his purpose in it? In Exodus 9, we, God shows us why he sends such evil and suffering. Exodus 9, 13 through 16. Hang with me. Exodus 9, 13. God's going to tell us why he sent the plagues. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Verse 15. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with the plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you Up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. In all the earth. Right before the seventh plague, God tells us why He's doing it this way. God tells us why he's doing it the way that he did it. And this is one of the places in the Bible where in a very real way, God is answering the question, if God is real and if God is good and if God is loving and if God has all power, then why is there evil in the world? What purpose could it possibly serve? And God tells Pharaoh that this evil ultimately came to him to show his power and his greatness to the world. That's the purpose it serves. It isn't just about punishing Egypt. Because what does verse 15 say? God says, if it was about just punishing you and destroying you, I could have done that in a moment with the pestilence if I wanted to. God is saying, I took my time and it was slow. Why? Because I wanted to clearly communicate who I am, that there is no one like me in all the earth. That there's no one like me in all the earth. He wanted Egypt and Israel and the rest of the world to know that He alone should be praised, that He alone has power, that He alone is sovereign, and He will do good to His people ultimately. He will use all of that might to save His people. You can't understand God's plans if you don't understand, understand God's purposes. You can't understand God's plans if you don't understand God's purposes. The purpose of evil and suffering ultimately are to show us that he is the Lord and there is none like him and he will save his people. That's the purpose, that's why he's doing it. And I know, I know the stories of many of you in this room. I know the stories of many of you in this room and I know that many of you have suffered in ways that I have not that many of you have suffered in ways that I have yet to go through. But what I, the little suffering that I have gone through, here's what i found, that God has used those seasons of incredible weakness and much sorrow to do good in my life that I could never have seen. Just the little that I've suffered, what I've seen is that God was doing something and showing himself in ways that I would not have seen him otherwise. Probably the most difficult thing I've had to walk through so far in my life and it will not be the last thing, I know that. But probably one of the most difficult things has been when my wife Lauren went through a a long season of miscarriages, several miscarriages. And I remember that season. I remember how heart-wrenching it is because you have so many questions. You have so many questions. Like you pray You pray and all you seem to get is silence. You cry and you weep and all you seem to get are these distant promises from a far off land that doesn't really exist right now. And then you have times where you get your hopes up. You think, oh no, God's gonna show up. And then you have another miscarriage. When you're in the midst of suffering, it doesn't seem like any good could come from it. When you're in the midst of evil and suffering, we cannot imagine, how in the world is this diagnosis going to bring anything good in my life and my family? I would ask, how could any good come from the loss of a child? How? I can't see it, God. How? How could any good come from this? It seems almost certain in those moments when you're going through it, it seems almost certain that God could not be good. He cannot be trusted. He may not even be real. That's what it feels like. That's everyone's experience in suffering because you don't know where he is sometimes. And that's exactly why, that's exactly why God sent Jesus. That's exactly why he sent Jesus, because he wanted to send Jesus to show us that through the greatest evil, he could accomplish even greater good. He sent Jesus to show us that through the greatest evil, he would show us himself in ways we could not have imagined, because the greatest evil, the greatest suffering ever to be experienced, God planned for it to be experienced by his own beloved son. Do not turn there, Acts 4. Listen to how the church talks about, the early church talks about Jesus. For truly in this city, this is a prayer of theirs. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What does that text say? Herod, Pontius Pilate, and many others had a real hand in killing Jesus. They absolutely did. But what does verse 28 say? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Ultimately, God planned for that great evil to happen. That's what he's saying. Jesus is the truly only innocent person to ever live. And Jesus is of more value than any other person And at the cross, he gets rusty Roman spikes driven through his wrists and his feet. This Jesus, who is the only innocent person, hangs on a cross and struggles to breathe because his body weight is smothering his lungs. This Jesus is sitting there being crucified. His friends have left. And he calls out to God, and it seems like there is silence from heaven. And this Jesus, whose side was pierced, and he's laid in the tomb, and he's sitting there dead, it looks like God only meant this for evil. It looks like when he's laying in the tomb, it seems like God either does not care, or all he wanted to do was crush his beloved son, The disciples are hiding because in their minds, what good could come from this? He was pure, he was perfect, he was innocent, and he's dead. What is God doing? And then he's raised from the dead. And then he gets up from the grave and God shows his people that in the greatest evil, he is accomplishing a good beyond comprehension. In the greatest evil. In the greatest evil, he's accomplishing a good beyond comprehension. Could anyone have ever known, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, did anyone really think that in this moment, God's going to give his eternal love to his people forever through this? They did not know that. Could anyone have ever imagined that through this evil, this great injustice, God would remake the heavens and earth one day that would be rid of evil and sin and suffering forever. Could anyone have known what God was up to in the midst of it? No. They couldn't see that. All they saw was death and suffering, but God was working. He was working. So the cross comes to you and to me to show us that in the darkest, Moments of your life, the cross promises that God is not distant. The cross promises that even when you can't understand the good that God could accomplish through some evil in your life, that the people of God will see that good in due time. The people of God, you will see that good in due time. Maybe in this life, maybe in the next, but you will see it in due time. Because if God was able to use the greatest evil imaginable, the son of God being crucified on a cross. If he's able to use the greatest evil for good, how much more could he use the lesser evil in our lives to accomplish good things for us? How much more could he accomplish good through the lesser evils in our lives? So church, when you walk through miscarriages... When you walk through cerebral palsy, when you walk through bankruptcy and horrific things that just make you want to weep, you got to cling to the cross because you won't always know what God's doing. There, things won't always make sense. Our minds will not be able to understand the good that God could do. But that's when we can trust and look at the cross and know he is not done with me. Jesus got up, he's not done. That The one who died has been raised and now that one who has been raised rules the universe now. And so the one who rules the universe, this Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth, this Jesus is the one who's orchestrating every moment of evil in your life. That the one who orchestrates the suffering, and evil in your life is the one that still has the markings of him being pierced through his wrist and his feet. The resurrected Jesus still had the hole in his side to show them, I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to die. I know what it's like to be in anguish and tears and cry out. I know what it's like. So when I send suffering your way and evil your way, and you see things you can't understand, you can not trust me. Because I don't do it as one who has not suffered. I do it as one who has suffered the most. I'm gonna end with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I've used it before, I'll use it again. I'll keep using it because it's that good. He says this, I'll end with this and we'll pray. God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be confused. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. If I cannot trace his hand and I don't know what he's doing, I can always trust his heart. Let's pray together. God, so often we go through things. So often we see evil and suffering. We go through evil and suffering. And God, without you, our tendency is to run away. God, without you, our tendency is to not think about or not contemplate or to move past. So God, I'm thankful for your word that you teach us things that are difficult, you teach us things that are good for us, but hard to hear. And God, you teach us things that take the roots of our faith, and you sink them down deep. You sink them down deep, because you bought your people, you love your people, you sent your son for your people. and you give us truth, and you gave us the cross to give us ballast in our ships when the storm comes. Because God, the storms will come. And God, we know from your word that any storm that comes, no matter, the, no matter who the agent may be, no matter who's committing the evil, God, we know from your word that you are ultimately in control. And that you ultimately decide what comes into our lives and what does not. So, God, would you give your people faith to trust that in the midst of it, you are accomplishing good, even if we can't see it? God, would you make your people a people who trust your heart and look to the future and know one day He will make sense of all of this? One day He will make sense of all of this. It's not because He's not good, it's not because He doesn't love me, it's not because He's far off. It's just because I can't see. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, our king, our leader, our God, who knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to have all of evil gathered against him. He knows what it's like to be swept up in it and taken away. But God, he knows what it's like to when your word says, This far and no further evil, you're done. And you raised him from the dead. God, we long for that day. But God, until then, keep us faithful in every season. In every single season, keep this church faithful so this city can see we have truth and a gospel that endures everything. So they can see we have the God they're after. God, we ask these things in Christ's name, amen.